Welcome to episode 60 of Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. I'm joined once again by co-host Corey Heitschmidt. How's it going, Corey? Hello. And of course, Justin Eldon. Hello. Hello. Uh, And thank you, everybody, for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a review on your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. Today on the show, we are joined also by Dan Zare from Coffee with Kenobi. Hello, gentlemen. I am looking forward to this conversation about the real, accurate, authentic man of steel. Yes, today. I, I swore I wasn't going to do that, but <laughs> oof, burst out. Yeah, yeah. If if you didn't know, uh, we are talking about Superman the movie from 1978. Hold and, on, I got a genuflect. Go ahead. Okay, okay I'm good. <laughs> yeah, this this is a movie. I got to say, Dan, when when we decided with the show we were going to do not just Star Wars movies, this was one that I immediately thought of, and I immediately thought of mm-hmm. having you on the show because I know of your your love for this movie and kind of distaste for Man of Steel. So I know that that would come up a little bit. But distaste is probably not as accurate as disdain. Oh, but sure. We we should have hashed these things out before the show started. No, this because... is all part and parcel yeah, of the, that, of the yeah. wackiness of there you the go. airwaves. So, I wasn't prepared. I, yeah. Mm. We'll, we'll get into that, I'm sure. Um, yes. So let's... Uh, actually, it's a really good time just to be talking about DC with, with all of the, the changes that are on the, on the forefront. As of right now... As of this recording, we have not quite heard what the slate is going to be from from James Gunn and Peter Safran, but we should hear very soon. So this, I think, is a very appropriate time to do this film. Uh, but let's go ahead and start with our overall thoughts on Superman the movie. So, Dan, you've already kind of started. Would you please continue with your overall thoughts on the film? I remember seeing this in theaters when it first came out, and I remember being absolutely blown away by it. I didn't know any better, but for the majority of my young life, I thought Christopher Reeve was actually Superman, right? And then as I got older and I read comics uh, by some of the greats like John Byrne and um, uh, Jeff Loeb and just uh, and all the great artists who've worked on The Man of Steel, I was just, and I, every time I'd go back to the original film, I just thought this movie gets it. I, I, I really feel confident in saying of all the superhero movies, and all the actors portraying these mythological characters. I think there are two that personify the spirit of these heroes more than anything else. And I think it's Chris Evans as Captain America. And I think it's Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent slash Superman, because I think it's important to dignify and, and point out the performance of both, because they're both very different characters portrayed by one actor, which is another masterstroke uh, in this film. I, I absolutely love it. I think it's an almost perfect superhero movie. And I would I feel very comfortable saying that the John Williams theme to Superman is my favorite piece of John Williams music in the history of ever. All right. Corey, so what good. about you? What about you? What are your overall thoughts on Superman the movie? That that's a good that's a good one to follow up on. I, I completely agree. I think this movie I remember watching this as a kid. And this movie is an incredible story. I would I would label this as one of the all-time favorite childhood movies growing up. When you're a kid, you look back. And then when you watch it as an adult, you look back with fondness. Even though the effects don't hold up the same way that modern movies do, 
um, on some of them. You look back at this one and you can't help but love it. And watching it again to get ready for this, I'm going to tell you, it just brings back so many smiles and heartfelt warm strings for, for Christopher Reeve mm. that you look in. He personifies Superman. Like I, I can see why Dan says, I, you know, he, for years, you just thought he was Superman. You look at him and he is Superman. He looks Superman. He sounds Superman. And his Clark Kent is brilliant. And so I look back at this and I think this movie's epic. I think it sets the stage for bringing comic book movies into, into fruition because so many of the shots in this movie, I think, are great at what would be a great storyboard of a comic book page mm. where there's they're zooming in and you see some epic things or somebody standing in the background while there's some foreground conversations. They do such a great job with that. And so I think this movie, you run a risk when you make a comic book into a movie of not pulling it off. And I think... Donner did an incredible job of not taking it so seriously that the movie has to be only serious. He had some slapstick in there. He had some amazing shots. He had some, some great effects. He had some, everybody had an incredible story and he had brilliant actors um, through here. And uh, so I think it's, it's just a great character developed story. Your main actor doesn't come in for 48 minutes into the movie and you still pull off a masterpiece. I mean, that's that's talent to be able to do that and build that story up. And I and I think that's why Superman is a, a fan favorite. And maybe that's why some people are so passionate about uh, Man of Steel and, and Warner Brothers and DC now is is because he's such a favorite. Now, uh, Justin is significantly younger than us, so he has a little bit of a different take. And I'm curious what, what your overall thoughts are. We've talked a little bit about it off off the air. But what do you think, Justin? What are your overall thoughts on this film? Uh, first off, I would like to uh, point out the negative connotation you used that <laughs> phrase with significantly younger. I'm going to see that as a bonus. No, but uh, seriously. So growing up, I had not, I, I didn't grow up with this movie in the same way you guys did. Obviously it was around, but uh, I think the first time I watched it was like around 2006 when Superman Return came out and uh, I needed to like be like, oh my goodness, like this is obviously a sequel to something. Uh, so I I went through and watched those movies, but I didn't watch them very closely. I wasn't I wasn't into this sort of thing quite as much. Um, so so before the episode, I watched I watched the movie a couple times to try and get like a more modern take on it, and I think it's fantastic. I I think any criticisms I could have would come from like almost like a a lack of understanding of the time period that it was created uh in terms of like movie technology being a little bit different audiences being a little bit different um and also just the general climate of like today we are very used to blockbusters superhero movies coming out like you know several times a year uh definitely wasn't the case back then um but yeah, in, in watching it, I was, and maybe we'll get into more of this later. I was very surprised uh, how much other superhero films, especially Superman films, really borrowed from this one. Uh, like, I, I I didn't realize that this was like such a genesis of, of everything else. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I thought it 
was fantastic. And kind of to Dan's point, it's amazing to see what Christopher, Christopher Reeve can do in playing two characters. Cause I've, I've never subscribed much to the idea of like, Oh, Superman can just, you know, take off his glass or Clark can take off his glasses and nobody knows who he is. But then in watching this, I was like, Oh my goodness. Like, Christopher Reeve can pull that off. He's a, he's a different person. His, mm-hmm. his mannerisms, his facial expressions, the way he carries himself. Like it's, it's very different anyway. Uh, so much of it, I just think is, is fantastic. I, I have my issues, but we, we can get into those, but fantastic. We film. Will. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I did not see this in the theater. I was a little bit young. I saw the Superman two in the theater, but I do remember vividly seeing this on the ABC Sunday night movie so many times. Like it is nice. an indelible part of my childhood. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, did we all watch just the the theatrical cut, the like the hundred and forty three minute, two hour twenty minute movie version? Because there's yes. there are so many different versions. The one that I've I've probably watched the most though is the is the DVD that came out in two thousand one. It's the first DVD I ever bought, and they cool. put like eight extra minutes in there. And I don't know if you guys have seen the the Gauntlet of Doom, where Superman's walking through on his way to Luther's lair, and there's like the machine. It's awesome. And, yeah, I love yeah. it. So um, cool. not, not in the theatrical one. So I missed it this time. Um, but I love that part. There's a little bit more Krypton um, and some other, some other, some more jor and stuff like that. But mainly the Gauntlet of Doom is the thing I always remember from that. And I remember seeing that as a kid too. So I remember seeing it in other versions, like it's not in this one because there are so many different versions. There's a lot of similarities to Star Wars with this film. Obviously, John Williams, we'll talk about him at length and you know, another thing too, is the whole thing with, with the Salkines and how this movie got made is amazing. It went through so many iterations, uh, in doing research on this. I mean, I knew some of the things about the difficulties with, with Donner and the Salkines and why, you know, there's the Donnered cut, uh, you know, making Superman one and two at the same time and the difficulties those two guys had. And but the loving also- warmth of Marlon Brando on the set <laughs> and his earnest desire to yeah. reach out and mentor his fellow actors. <laughs> Dan, so I don't know you super well, but is is that sarcasm? Because I've heard stories. It's very much so. Uh, yeah. All right, all right. Just making yes. sure yeah. I'm reading that. Yes, it's a quite disappointing actually hearing yeah. that. Because I mean, who doesn't love Brando as an actor? Yeah. My gosh, yeah, the, the, he's a great get for this film, and we'll talk about that. Absolutely, well. and, and Hackman too. I mean, like that's the thing as a kid. Like Gene Hackman was, he's always well, and will always be Lex Luthor to me. And I didn't realize like the level of actor that he was to get both of these guys in the late seventies was, was quite an amazing get. Um, when but you edit this, this would be a good time to insert him screaming Miss Tessmacher. I think that would be great. <laughs> oh, I'm not in this out. I'm just leaving this in. Um, uh, my last, no, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was okay, just going to say about Martin Brando. The thing that I, that is the only time I will say this, that I have ever seen Christopher Reeve make a comment a negative comment about anybody was Marlon Brando, where he said on an interview that Marlon Brando was phoning it in. And he didn't worship at the altar of Marlon Brando. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I thought that is such a different for, for Christopher Reeve. And I only saw that video, I think last year, like within the last year, I've seen that video somewhere on TikTok or, you know, or some, some social media somewhere where it got shared. And I thought, Oh my gosh, that's the only time I've ever seen Christopher Reeve say something negative about anybody. And so Marlon Brando, you know, and then I read some of the things that he did and he did. He phoned it in. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. And but he still I, pulled off a great role. Yeah. Yes. And he almost literally phoned it in, too. I mean, there's things about him wanting to play it as a bagel, <laughs> right? Or a suitcase. What? So, yeah. 
that was the in some of the original his original pitch to the Selkines was if I'll do it, but how about if I play it if I'm just like a bagel and uh, I'll just do voiceover. He was too close to Kryptonite, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> strange, strange <laughs> man. Can, can you imagine the the view of Superman and like the mythos behind him we'd have today? If he was a bagel, like, or a, or a buttered croissant. Yeah. That's yeah. Horrible. Like there's yeah. an alternate timeline out there somewhere where he actually was a bagel mm. and they're just, yeah. Damn. And he's delicious. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. That's you guys are derailing my show. I love it so much. Um, hey. so <laughs> don't say too close to the scripts, Craig. No, I can't. I can't. Okay. So well, that actually, it's a good segue for what I was going to say that there are multiple ways this, this could have gone because, uh, at one point, William Goldman, who wrote, of course, The Princess Bride and and uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, was approached to write the screenplay. That would have been interesting. Lee Brackett, who, of course, wrote an early draft of Empire Strikes Back. And then you had you know, Coppola almost directed. William Friedkin did The Exorcist. Richard Lester, who ended up doing number two. George Lucas and Spielberg were also approached. And I love the thing I wrote about Spielberg was, let's just see how this Jaws thing shakes out, and then we'll come back to him. And then it was like, nah, it's too late. You missed your window. But I mean, obviously Spielberg would have been a great, a great choice for this. But I love Richard Donner. I've loved so many of Richard Donner's films that he was the man for this job for sure. So let's go ahead and dig into some of the things. Let's talk about the cinematography of Superman the movie. As far as composition, color, camera work, um, Dan, I'm going to start with you. What, what kind of things did you notice for cinematography for this film on this view? Well, obviously you've got, you've basically got, three major settings you've got krypton which uh leaves an impact even though it's really quick you've got smallville itself and then you've got metropolis uh which looks a lot like new york i don't know why that's really uh, weird and it's um that there's they're the different there's i don't even know if there are different lenses or different work done for it but the lighting uh each 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 time you're in a new world there's like a different filter on it which i mean i'm probably more modern uh, definitions of cinema of cinema to it that really helped to tell the story itself, which I find great. Um, the camera loves Christopher Reeve. Um, I love that when it shows, uh, the, you know, it's just like the classic, you know, they film him up when he's Superman, but when he's Clark, they make him seem a little bit smaller. And again, as we talked about, plus again, the way he holds himself in his posture uh, really define that as well. And even though I don't know if the special effects, would work uh, to talk about here too, but the flight stuff is just fabulous. Um, and there's, there's a real uh, mythos to it because when they created this film, they weren't worried about people believing a man could fly. They were more worried that people, uh, would buy into the optimism and the persona that is Superman in a very cynical 1970s world. I don't know. That's not really cinematography based, but it's interesting to to bring up. Yeah, Corey, what about you? What what kind of things did you notice for images, cinematography things? You know, the thing I I, I agree. Those three settings of those three worlds. You look at Krypton, and it's the ice and crystal world, very seventy sci fi. Mm-hmm. But I love the color. I absolutely loved it. Watching this time, you look and you see all the bright colors and. Superman's red and blue in his uh, baby blanket stuff just yeah. shines. And, and I, I feel, I know that is dated now, but it sure does become a memorable look. 
and all the logos on the Marlon Brando with the S and all the other logos that they did for the other characters, which is great. Um, and so it kind of sets that there's more behind this than just an S for Superman. So, and then I think when you get to Kansas and you go, it's just full Norman Rockwell painting Kansas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think you, you dignify that the best is this, the funeral scene for Jonathan Kent. When there's a long sweeping pan of this valley and it's empty and it's secluded and it's farms and it's, it's Kansas. And, uh, and then here's the cemetery. And, and so it, it draws you in, I think. And so then you go to Metropolis and then finally, when you get to Metropolis, you get the superhero epic, the romance story, and you get some of the screwball comedy. You don't get that until Metropolis. It is it is a serious movie up until that point, and then you get Clark Kent, which is kind of a bumbling fella. So, so I think the scenes and those three worlds um, are pieced together just in a just stunning way to do it to show those three worlds. And so I think they give you something memorable in each one, and then the final one where we have to this is our Superman that we're accepting and moving forward with. So there's a lot of good panning and a lot of good. I think comic book shots that take place in the cinematography. I think they slipped in a lot of comic book still images like Superman on the boat where he gets hit with a crowbar is from one of the comics. Um, him getting the cat out of the tree is from a comic. <laughs> him when he's a baby picking up the car over his head, throw a throwback to the very first episode, picking a car up over his head. So I think that cinematography of slipping these images in is played off very well in this movie. Nice. Just one about Norman you. Rockwell comparison is apt for sure. Yeah, I had that too. So that's that's awesome. Justin, um, I hadn't quite broken it down mentally the same way Dan had, so it kind of got the wheels turning. But uh, you're right; like there are three large or uh, three very different settings. And if you look like at at the first one, uh, where it shows you know Krypton, and you have like this highly advanced race who's almost like so advanced that they're, they're lacking in any sort of emotion and definitely the, the color uh, exhibits that like you can see it. It's very like, everything is very black and white or, or shades thereof. Uh, except for obviously Superman's father who inserts some emotion there, but then you go to Smallville, Smallville, which is very like bright and colorful uh, and like, just wide shots of like beautiful valleys, Norman Rockwell, like you guys said, and then almost everything in metropolis, like there are some colors there, but it is a lot of Browns and a lot of grays, but there are like so many close shots and the shots are just full of, they're just full. There's so much in each of those shots. It's almost anxiety inducing, which I think is intentional, especially when you're in the, the daily planet. And there's just so much going on and I've never been in a new, real newsroom if those even exist anymore, but it, it's, it's, it like stresses me out to watch the amount of things going on. I'm sure I can mm -hmm. watch those scenes 20 times and pick up on something new every single time. Um, and it, it just kind of shows, I don't know, I guess like different viewpoints uh, or, or different things like maybe the juxta, I struggle with this word juxtaposition of a, uh, like Smallville versus Metropolis and 
maybe how difficult that would have been for Clark. It never comes out and says that or really shows the difficulty for Clark because you don't really know how much is Clark acting and how much is actually him struggling to adapt. But I imagine that would have been difficult for him. And I feel like the movie is trying to, t- to tell you that. Nice. You guys pulled out so many of the good things that I was going to say already. So I'm going to dig a little deeper and see if there's things I didn't have or that you get, didn't get brought up yet. Um, so I'm going to start with the black and white curtains at the beginning. I always forget that the movie starts that way. Uh, the very old traditional, you know, the June 1938 pops up. It's, it's very, you see an actual comic book, like speaking of images, it's it literally goes right back to that, right back to the source. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that transitions into those dynamic title sequences in full color. Uh, and then music kicks in. And I mean, I remember obviously seeing those as a kid and then it just, that was, I think the best thing that Brian Singer did with Superman returns was give us that again, because I immediately was, t- when I was in the theater, seeing that with Superman returns in 2006, I was like, I'm seven years old again, because that's so iconic. I, I just love that so very much. I'm so jealous of the nostalgia you guys have attached to this film. I, I wish I could like view it through a nostalgic lens. Yeah, it's, it does. Well, I, it makes I, it I, easy I to you. forgive the hmm. effects for sure, but. Yeah, it it does. It well, just, see, that just doesn't bother me because it's just yeah. like the at the time it was it blew us away. True. Well, it, and you know what? In watching that, and I felt this way when I watched uh, like the original Star Trek ser- series. The effects are not great by today's standards, and they are distracting. But you look at a lot of modern superhero movies; the effects are still distracting. Like you right. tell me, the final act mm-hmm. of Black Panther isn't isn't distracting as right. you know the cga battle um in which like they, the had, they had admitted that they rushed which is why it looks so it, yeah but i mean there's there's a there's dozens right. of examples of that through yep. modern films for sure so it's a good call i, I think yeah. for the time it, it was great and a, a lot of it holds up not all of it but a lot of it yeah. still looks pretty good ultimately no, this is the biggest thing about i'm sorry to interrupt you cory uh, go ahead no i think the most important thing about the effects and why there's not as much of a distraction. And Grant and I probably are looking at it through a slanted lens because of the nostalgia factor that you mentioned, Justin. But if the story, I heard a critic that I really respect once say, if you watch something and the special effects are completely taken away and the story still has impact and weight and carries an emotional heft to it, then it's a good story. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely. what makes it easier here is because this is a, a terrific story uh, about actual characters and not about how can we get to the, you know, 25 minute CGI ending that Absolutely. so many, so many films have and actually has dialogue in the last 20 minutes of the film too. And I think that uh, cures a lot of bills. Yeah. The, the effects aren't, don't feel so dated that it detracts from the story. Yeah. Most of the, time. the best I, effect I think in this film when is you look at the history of the time. You look at the history of the time, like I think there's three movies around this time within a decade of each other that I think distract me a little bit with some of their CG, some of their special effects. And I think there's a reason because I was thinking about it today with this movie is Star Trek, the motion picture, Superman, the movie and uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. And all three, you went from cinema where movies were being made to now all of a sudden they had special effects where they could put this computer background and overlay an image on top of it and you see it in superman where he goes off and he's studying with jor for 12 years you see actual like 
there's some sand coming out of some paint thing that's overlaid as if it's in the galaxy. And they use this huge, at that time, it was a big new effect to be able to put some of these things in the movies. And they overlaid some of these a little too much. And they made a, you know, what would have been a 20 second scene into a two minute, three minute, four minute part. And it was, you know, it gets a little bit distracting by today's standards. It's too much overlay and it looks a little too cheesy as he's flying through space and, you know, on his way to earth and you got some of the stuff in there, like trying to show the cosmos and colors and paint. And so it's a, it's an emerging technology at that time. And that's why it's in the movie. It's that's it, they did it with Star Trek. And if you took those scenes out, you know, it would have knocked off five, six minutes out of a movie. Um, but at that time you take it in that time period, it's, it's kind of a common thing that's, that's coming along. So, yeah. Well, and you know what? I don't know the physics of, of uh, humanoid flying. How am I supposed to know that? Maybe it looks like he's attached to wires when he flies. It does. It does. It look like that. Cause I, honestly, I mean, I can't tell because I'm just yeah. again, I think every time I watch it, I'm like, I'm eight or whatever. Yeah. There, there's a couple scenes where I'm like, it, it looks like he's wearing a harness underneath that suit or the way, the way he's turning just doesn't quite feel natural. But then again, humans or like humanoids yeah. i guess don't really fly so it's not really natural maybe it's, his cape maybe. flows differently than henry cavill's cape flows <laughs> i'm just gonna say that because one is cgi and one is is actually sure. warm the, there is a particular scene yeah this the part where he's uh where he's standing horizontally on that building and his cape is not falling the way it should oh, I, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean i've always been so enraptured by that yeah. And it, it's such a cool little, hey, what's up, dude? You yeah. know, what's up, bro? What are you doing? Yeah, you know, that you just that you just forgive it, but you're absolutely right. And I think that's almost like the magic of Superman. You, that right. he can control his cape is that one of his powers? I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe there's static. Maybe is there a lot of static? Could be. Maybe 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 he's affecting the gravity around him the so much that it it also you know affects yeah. his cape. Uh huh. <laughs> He also can throw an S, which is a whole other thing. And, yeah, there's oh. so, oh, Superman oh, Two has some yeah. weird powers. Um, it okay, does. I'm I'm going to touch on a couple of great <laughs> shots that I like, and just so we can move on to sound. There is, uh, okay, we talked about the 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 shot of baby or toddler, I suppose, Clark picking up the truck uh, without right a after, super diaper on, without <laughs> yeah, naked Clark. Um, but you also get a great triangle shot of. They see what happens, and then you see you see uh, Martha's on the left, and Jonathan's on the right, and they look back at Cal's ship. I'm gonna keep switching back and forth. The Cal, it, it right in the middle, which is a great shot for us too. They they look back and they don't say anything, but the way it's shot, you're like, yeah, we have to look at the connection between the ship and what's happening currently. So I love that. I love seeing every time I see triangles. I think that's fantastic. Another one I really like is we have the super wide shot of Clark racing from the right to beat the the car when he's after football practice, it's such a wide shot. And all you see is like dust trails kind of meeting in the middle. And it's just, it's just a beautiful shot. There's so many great sweeping shots. Corey, you alluded to, to this too, that it takes its time kind of establishing things. They do this also when they go to, uh, to the Arctic where we're going to build the Fortress of solitude and just really establishing location and, and his powers in that, in that sense there. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on to to sound. Dan, why don't we start with you? Effects, soundtrack, vocal sounds. What kind of things pointed uh, jumped out to you? The sound and the the effects. I mean, they they tell a story. As I said before, the important thing about 
uh, a good film, an effective film, is that the special effects don't detract, but they they're just a nice bonus. I, I like to think of it as in the classic days of Shakespeare's plays, how the special effect was the costumes, because they had to go by the sun. When the sun was down, that was it. No play. So the, the special effects were the costumes and the performances. And Christopher Reeve is, as we've established, his own special effect. Uh, you, you really can't underestimate or undervalue um, this man's persona. I mean, literally, he's a big guy. Like, he could have been a bodybuilder. He trained so hard for this film. But the way he carries himself, as Justin said before, you can actually believe the whole glasses thing. Because the, the way he changed, it's like Bud Collier in the great 40s serials, the radio stuff, and the early, early uh, Flesher Superman animated stuff. Um, the voice work uh, changes. But then when you've got an on-screen person, that is a special effect. And it's magnificent. Um, the flight stuff, I just said, it worked well for me. I, I still think the ending stuff when he's flying, uh, yes, you're aware that he's not actually flying above the earth. But boy, does that does that speak volumes about, uh, you know, it just creates a level of pathos and nothing is uh, eclipses the John Williams score. Uh, the Krypton theme, of course, the Superman theme, I said, is my favorite of everything John Williams has ever done. That's saying a lot, as we know, because of the volume, the depth and breadth of work that is the amazing maestro John Williams. I saw John Williams twice. I saw him once at Celebration in 2019. No, no, this 2022. Uh, and he did the Imperial March and Raiders and the Obi-Wan theme live for the first time. But I saw him in Chicago, probably 2007, 2008 at the Chicago Symphony. And the first song or theme that he played was the Superman March. And I got to tell you guys, like even now I have goosebumps just exploding because when he played that thing, there's just something that you just feel like you can fly. You just feel so powerful. And so there's so much joy and passion and excitement and pathos that just oozes out of that. And it was playfully done and recorded, but there's such a majesty about this silly idea of this of this character that couldn't possibly exist. But if you know your history of Superman, and I, I teach Superman is one of the things I teach in my mythology class um, as uh, an early idea of a hero and, and self sacrifice. But you know, Jerry Siegel had this dream in 1934. In the middle of the night, he was picked on by bullies. His dad was killed by a man with a gun. And he had this dream of this person that was uh, part Hercules, part Samson from the Old Testament of the Bible. And he woke up and he ran over to his friend, Joe Schuster's house. And he said, I've got this idea for a character. And they sketch out Superman. It takes him five years to sell the idea of Superman. Five years. First comic comes out, uh, 938, 1939, Action Comics number one. Uh, it started everything. It started comics. He was the first comic book character to have his own comic book. It was 13 pages. Before that, it was always separate heroes in a comic book. Uh, he was the first TV show. He was the first movie. He's the first everything. Um, and I say all that to back up what I'm saying before. This is about the special thing because Christopher Reeve is carrying that mantle and he makes it soar and pun is intended. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> All right, Corey. Some so, things you noticed about this sound. Oh, Justin, you want to jump in? Go ahead. Oh, I, I just I was just thinking. So, uh, I want to say maybe a week or so ago, Craig was in my classroom, and this is before I had refreshed myself on this film. Uh, Craig was in my classroom during lunch, and I I think you were watching this film, 
and the uh, the march came on. And for I I'd heard that dozens of times throughout my life, but I never realized quite where it was from. I don't think. Um, but it's such like an iconic uh, score. Like I'm sure most people have heard it. I wonder in terms of uh, like recognizable John Williams scores, like how high up that list would you, would you put it like top, top five probably, but more, I would say top, top three, top three. Mm -hmm. How many of those top five scores are John Williams scores? That's the thing. (laughs) Oh no, I'm just saying just John Williams. Ten of them. Yeah. (laughs) Just keeps going. (laughs) There's a list of top five scores and John Williams has them all. That's right. So Corey, we're in the weeds there. I was just, no, you're fine. Blown away. That's awesome. Anything else you noticed uh, um, sound wise? We can keep talking about the the march, of course. But you know, I think I think when I look at the sound, the the whole movie is great, and I think you you get if you can walk away from a movie and not be distracted by too many things with sound, then you know they did a phenomenal job on sound, right? And so I think there's only two things in Superman that ever bug me on sound, and one is in the opening credits. I love the John Williams score so much that I don't like the whooshing sound from the credits. The names oh, coming in. I love, I love that. that. The Doppler effect. I, yeah. I know. And I, I might be alone in this, but when the whooshing no. sound comes no, in, you, it's distracting to me because I want to hear the score. I want to hear the song. And so they keep every time it goes by. <laughs> and and I feel like it's too much. I feel like, you know what I, it reminds me of this last time I watched it is when we teach kids PowerPoint in class. <laughs> and, and they use every say. effect they can and every yeah. sound and and you sit there and you watch the slide develop and you're like oh my goodness that's every sound in the in the whole theme there <laughs> and, and they so and then like, they judge you and they're like well why don't you put transitions in all of your slides because it's terrible because <laughs> i'm and not so eight. I'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying had powerpoint been invented at the time of superman they might not have done the whooshing sound and then the other part the other part that I think is is his voiceover for young Clark Kent throws me in the beginning, but by the time he gets to the farm, I accept it and I don't <laughs> it doesn't distract me. Because Christopher Reeves' voice does not fit the face of the boy that's playing right. Clark Kent. And huh. and it's too distracting for me to for me to accept it. And uh, and I by the way you know sidetrack Avatar two Sigourney Weaver's voice did the same thing and I couldn't ex- I couldn't handle it. I, it just drove me crazy. So, so it kind of distracts me a little bit. But other than that, all the other things are absolutely amazing. The sound-wise, they they do an amazing job getting things like when he lands on the window and you hear his feet hit the window when he's mm. standing horizontal in a vertical world. His feet hit the window, and then he you hear him step off as he catches the criminal and steps off. You hear him step off. Yeah, and it's that's detail. That's detail that gets you, and and I think makes it great. And then the one thing I'm going to highlight for Christopher Reeve, he is the voice of the helicopter uh, announcer, the helicopter uh, technician who's announcing the weather to the helicopter pilot. He puts on a draw, a trucker oh, right. draw, and tells the weather for the pilot. Uh, you got to pick up Miss Lane here and take her down, you know. And so he tells the weather for the helicopter thing, and it's Christopher Reeve. Never knew it until it was pointed out to me, and then when I went back and heard it. You can distinctly tell it's him, and he's got a great draw. Shows the level of, of voice and commitment and talent that he has. Nice. 
Corey, Justin. you're you're not, you're not alone with with the whooshing sound. You you thought you were alone. You're absolutely. It's it's like the audio equivalent of like the old lady that holds up an iPad to take a picture. It's just it's distracting. Like you don't you don't need it. Like hmm. let me hear the freaking song. Stop it. Yes. Um. Yeah. Stop. Stop. We didn't. We didn't need that. Needs to be edited out. We don't. We don't oh want that. Um. I I, mm. I appreciate your opinion that you do enjoy it, Craig and Dan, but it's awful. I um, yeah. I'll forgive you both because you seem like very very loving, kind, good people, good good men of God. <laughs> I'll forgive you. Okay, well, Craig, do you want me talking about like vocal sounds right now? Because I don't think Dan is going to forgive me if we keep going. No, dude, do it, Any, brother. Anything Here's, from that sound I, section? I, I, you I love talk differences about in opinion. I think it's yeah. fantastic. It's mixed All for right, good. So for good content for sure. So. Lois. Yeah. I, oh my goodness. Someone tell that, that poor lady to stop screaming. I can't take it. I, it's. Oh, Are we talking about Willie Scott from <laughs> Temple of Doom. Sorry. That, no, that, that to me, it was, it was very reminiscent of that. It reminded me of that. Like we get it. You're being buried alive in a car, but do you have to be so loud about it? Oh, it was so like, good. Just, oh my man. I, I just if kept you, having to change the volume when I was watching this. If thing. if that happened to me, I'm going to scream that loud. Yeah, you better help me, Justin. And you absolutely have that right. But you know what? When you're like blasting right into my ears, I'm going to be like, Dan, please, please be a little bit quieter about your death. Thank you. <laughs> no, the rest the rest of it was fantastic. I know we're talking about Christopher Reeve a lot, but um, yeah, just the the his ability to control and change like the cadence and like the tone of his voice is so impressive. Like Corey, I didn't even know that that was, that was his voice That's cool. as the helicopter weatherman fellow. You go find it and you'll hear it. And you, I know I, I can't unhear it now. The drawl he does in it is amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. You will want to drink a paps blue ribbon when you hear it. <laughs> he has a foam hat with a you know, mesh back when he's doing that. Scene. Yeah. That's the only thing I can picture. That's a seventies beer. Yeah, yeah oh, my, I to drink. <laughs> I, I don't understand that reference. <laughs> it's all right, Cap. You write it down. <laughs> I'd, I'll add it to the list. There you go. Okay, is it my turn? Yes. Okay, so, uh, so. you guys are many, many good things. We're probably going to interrupt you, just so you know. That's totally fine. Um, you know what? I'm going to start with the sound effects. One thing I always have loved is the the sounds what the, the Fortress of Solitude makes when it's being constructed. Those scraping sounds. It's mm. violent. But it's powerful. There's explosions. Uh, I I just lo- I love that so much. That along with the ringing of the crystal, which kind of calls to him, yes, is also amazing. Uh, my funniest effect is the one, and you have to listen for it. Most people miss it, especially now. It was where the mom slaps the daughter for lying, quote unquote, <laughs> about Superman saving her cat. Which again, late seventies, you can get away with that. That would not fly in a movie from today. Um, but that's that, hilarious. I- yeah, I have that laugh. part under things that would not fly today, <laughs> and there was like five or six of them. That I'm like, yeah, that's not well, okay. See, and I wanted to talk, speaking of that. See, I wanted to talk briefly. I'll rebut what you said about Lois and the screaming. Like movies in the late '70s through the early '80s, like we dealt with some serious stuff. Watching your main one of your main characters die on screen. That's a common thing that we would deal with in the horrifically. 80s. Yeah. I yeah. would have loved to only watch it. That would have been great. Yeah. I just don't want to hear it. Kids today can't handle that stuff. (laughs) All right. So here we go. So here's a few things. Uh, Speaking of soundtrack. So did you guys know John Williams was not the first choice 
for composer, that blew me away because Jerry Goldsmith had done the omen for Richard Donner. So oh, he was right. supposed to do it, but then uh, his scheduling conflict didn't work out. So John Williams gets hired. Fantastic. Because I agree, Danny. I think that his Superman theme is my favorite of his. Same. And I think that that's like really more than any of his other stuff has kind of superseded the film that it even came from. Like if you Star Wars, you think mm-hmm. of the Star Wars film. Indiana Jones, you think of the Indiana, Indiana Jones movie movies but i think with superman it's it's just it's superman period in every incarnation of superman like it's not even you don't even necessarily think of this film it's just superman the person the character um but i also really, there's a bunch of leitmotif i'm a huge fan of leitmotif i mean that's one thing we ta- we teach at the end of the year so when i get to pull those things out and listening for repeated phrasings is a lot of fun one i really enjoyed this time was that it's the 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 crystal there's a couple there's like you know you have the the krypton theme mm-hmm. but you also have a crystal theme mm-hmm. and that one is the one that we hear when the, the crystal's calling to him in the barn and then it's also it's the same sound when the kryptonite is revealed so it's a good and a bad thing it's kind of an interesting uh twist there and then of so course I didn't, I didn't pick up on that is it yeah. is it the exact same or is it subtly different when it shows the kryptonite well, it it's the same song. It's probably in a different key or or something. I mean, I'm not a music person per se, but it was this, it's the same same melody. Oh, okay. I'm gonna have yeah. to listen to that. Of course, you also have the the March of the Villains, uh, which is always fun. That when John Williams uses tuba, because he's yeah. a big fan of tuba. And uh, yeah. I love the love theme and how it's kind of a natural extension of the main title. Like it's even played over the opening credits. You know, it's, it's it bridges all together. I will say, I think the main, the love theme is, is, is very cheesy. <laughs> Always has been. That's fine. Here's the thing. Can I had read my mind. Yes. Oh, we'll get yes. to that. We'll okay. get to that. I have, oh. I'll talk about that in just a second. Yes. Last okay. of the things I want to talk about with the music is um, that you have two good examples of diegetic music where you have, I'm going to start with the second one first, actually. So you have super tramps, give a little bit, which is from 77, which makes sense as diegetic song. Because that would be playing on the radio while she's driving around. But then you also have Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock, which is playing in, I mean, Clark's 18. So what year? That's going to be 66, probably. Mm-hmm. 76, 66. That's a song from 55. So it's well, interesting. They, it kind of sets the They have the scene. radio stations that have play oldies. I don't know if yeah, you knew that in your part of the like, country. But isn't it does kind of designed to put you in the mood? Like this is a current song. That's the way I've always read it. So it's an interesting choice of song that they don't. No, go that's with a true. Sixty song. It's, that's it, true. But I think it also goes back to the whole like Norman Rockwell thing. Like it very much puts you in the mode of like this is old time Americana. They might as well song. be eating apple pie. Yes. Exactly. So it just kind of fits that. You know, it doesn't have to be a literal fit for that. It's a you know, it's an emotional fit for that. Yeah. But yeah, the the can you read my mind thing. Now David Collins did a whole bit. She was supposed to sing that. Yes. Now what? Really? No, I didn't. Yeah. Pause this and go find the the episodes of the soundtrack show that David Collins did. David's. I listened to it. I just don't remember that part. Yeah, he talked about that a lot. Like she was supposed to sing it, and Donner was like, "No, that's not going to happen." And so it becomes a spoken word thing. It's good until she starts to do that. That when it rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. It 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 just doesn't fit. Feels so high school stage. The lights dimmed, and the main character and one of the characters stepped over to the corner and did a monologue. That's how that feels to me. But that's I think Here that's purposeful, me. though, don't you? Because it does create sort of a a classic 
uh, trope of a performance art, right? Where all yeah. of a sudden everybody takes on the persona of her because she's like a high school, even though she's this mature, sophisticated woman who can take over the world with her writing and her, her grit around Superman. She's like a high school girl because yep. that's the impact that Chris Reeves has on the audience. So that, yeah, that perspective, I like that. That's kind of a little bit Lois's thing though, is, I mean, if a lot of viewers of this in 1978 were coming from the comics, she's, mm. she's got like a very puppy love for mm. Superman. Right. I still don't necessarily appreciate the scene, but I mean, mm. you're, you're absolutely right. It, it feels like, like a high school play, which would kind of de- like denote some sort of high school love interest type thing. And he would be the same way. Cause it, it stands to reason that he hasn't had time to date because yeah. he's too busy trying to figure out how to be uh, this world's Messiah in essence. Yeah. Well, and he was secluded for what? 12 years in the yeah, around solitude. a guy who just was phoning it in and it was a croissant <laughs> for crying out loud or bagel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and on that note, uh, I do like the voiceover. I do like his his voiceover in the Fortress of Solitude. I do like as far as, far as vocal sounds go. That is so a, cool. a powerful thing. It's I don't know if he's phoning that in. He doesn't have. He could be reading that right off the cue, off the cue cards, which I know he was doing in the other scenes as well. But that I always and felt the like that. Too. Yeah, that works for me. The Fortress of Solitude training montage that works for me. That's great. And when he's eating those eggs and punching the meat, it's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, that was something else. That's a different thing. I, I, yeah. I watched a different movie than the rest of you. <laughs> sorry, guys. you know, he was in Philadelphia, right? This is he ran up the stairs. It was cool. Yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, one oh, of the yeah. benefits I think for this, like when you point out that that palace with you know Jorel in there and how they did that, being on this side, oh my gosh, forty years later, forty-five years later, crazy. Yeah, I don't know where that happened, but forty-five years later, and having all these different. Uh, Versions of Superman movies now that we've had come out, Lois and Clark, you know, Smallville, uh, Lois and Superman, Henry Cavill, who I absolutely adore, Warner Brothers, get it together, what in the world? Anyway, so like you get to this level where we have had all these different iterations and how each one has done a different take on that. And Marlon Brando is not my favorite Jarrell, how he does that. I really like... There's two iterations of Jarrell that I think have been great. And uh, they did it in Man of Steel, which I thought was absolutely brilliant with Russell Crowe, the way he did Jarrell. And it's an AI interaction that looks visual so we can see instead of a screen and, and mystic. And then uh, Lois and Superman has been has been absolutely doing wonderful with it. So so I think I think those, the way that they've done it, like Marlon Brando was not my favorite way to do it. But at that time, that was an iconic person and an iconic role, and mm. it was great. All right. Uh, on that note, let's let's go ahead and move down to performance. And uh, first off, I'm going to stipulate that yes, Margot Kidder is melodramatic, but I think it's warranted. When you're falling out of like from a tall building after the helicopter thing, that's warranted as is being crushed yeah. in the earth. Uh, but everybody else, I think, is is very very solid throughout. But I do mm. want to talk about. Um dialogue do you guys have and i'll let anybody go that wants to go a specific line or passage that you like and there's for me there i was like half of the movie i wrote down but i love your weight and my iq i mean (laughs) gene hackman just delivers (laughs) you know hammers the punctuates dialogue with 
with um with levity uh and with uh, venom in, in the same exact breath i mean he is he he kind of transcends this movie in a lot of ways he's very much larger than life uh to me he is the best version of lex luther because he's a genius he uh, completely ignores anyone else uh who isn't him um he has no problem poking fun at people and of course ned Beatty is the, just the most perfect foil for him but he, he just chews up scenery like uh and gene hackman always plays uh, very heavy characters right and then he plays lex luther who is you know it's kind of a hit or miss uh, throughout the history of the character uh when he's done well he's done really well but it's it's kind of hard to do him right i think batman's the same way there's a like a certain specific cocktail that goes into this character and when you make him one-dimensional it's not as fun now is is Gene Hackman's Luther one-dimensional? Yeah, pretty much. But that's not what he is there to be a to be a rival for Superman. And because of the persona, the larger than life mantra. I mean, think about these monster actors you've got in the late seventies. You've got Gene Hackman. You've got Marlon Brando. I mean, these are two absolute legends in this time period. And the heft that they carry in this is great. I won't really say much about. Christopher Reeve, because I think it's it's really been been said. Uh, Margot Kidder, I think her chemistry with Christopher Reeve is nice, and I think it works. Um, she's a little bubbly and dizzy because she's so distracted by her work. So is she my favorite Lois? No, but she's far from my least favorite, if that makes sense. But I, I'm I just when it comes to acting, Ned Beatty's terrific and just a, a big goofball. But Gene Hackman is just a, a scene stealer every time. Yeah. Uh, so when, in 2006, when Superman Return came out, I was, I loved Kevin Spacey's portrayal of, of Lex Luthor. Like it was, it just, it, it was perfect for me. And knowing that we weren't ever going to get that again for a couple different reasons, I, I was a little bit sad, not realizing that that Luthor was obviously based off of uh, Gene Hackman's Luthor. Uh, so in watching this, I was like, "Oh my goodness! It's it's my it's my mm-hmm. favorite version of Lex Luthor. It's not there Kevin Spacey, but it's dang close." Like, I I was I loved his portrayal in this film. Like, uh, Dan, you're right. Like, it's he's kind of a hard character to nail. Um, we've seen some good portrayals. We've seen some bad portrayals. Man of Steel doesn't doesn't do it super great. Um, I'm sorry, not Man of Steel. Batman vs Superman. BBS, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but uh. But yeah, Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman kills it in that role. Love it. Well, if you, if you like that, he's in Superman two. I know. I and, and Superman I, four, I, which oh, isn't a great seen film. Superman two. Yeah, I have I have seen Superman two, but again, it was like I I watched it in like two thousand six, two thousand seven, and yeah. I sure I, I don't think I paid close attention. Yeah, I've never seen Superman four ever. Really? Yeah, don't do I, I don't know if I could. But I it's wanna... more hey, it's more Christopher Reeve Superman. So even though the movie's well, not good, true. you still get that. So that's there's true. a few moments of, of goodness in there. Corey, do you have a favorite line? Actually, Justin, I'm gonna start with you since you started. Do you have a favorite line from this that that's you didn't grow up with? I was curious if you had something that stuck out to you. Um I I gave a literal LOL at uh what what Dan mentioned, uh your weight <laughs> in my IQ. <laughs> I so I love I love that line. Yeah. Although he looks, you know. At two hundred pounds, like he can pull that weight off. That's impressive. He, he looks he looks a little more than two hundred, but yeah, I would think so. Corey, what about you? You got a favorite line? 
I do. I do. And this, you know, if, if you've listened to the show long enough, you'd know that I love wisdom in the movies. I love lines or quotes that absolutely snap me into a mindset of applicability. This is a line or this is a moment or this is a character that makes me look and say, oh my gosh, this applies to any one of us at any given moment in our life. And it's, you know what? The biggest wisdom that I think I get from Superman movies is Jonathan Kent mm -hmm. in Superman, the movie, and in Man of Steel. And in this one, I'm going to say, when he says to him, son, I do not know why you are on this earth, but it is not to score touchdowns. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a powerful moment. And it makes me look, and you, you hear it, and I kind of get lost in the rest of the dialogue because I think, oh my gosh, how many times do we focus on something that is so trivial and so small, and yet we have a bigger purpose. We have a greater reason. We have something that that is our calling that is going to be challenging and amazing and require our superhuman abilities to to go through. And so I think I think I look at that and that is the movie line of this whole thing that stands out to me. I love all those parts, the weight and the IQ and when he says bad vibrations and getting hit with a crowbar. I love those little witty things that he does with Clark Kent. I think I think uh and and I'll be this no one else can pull off Clark Kent the way that Christopher Reeve did. And if you look at every iteration of Superman that we get from here on out, no one plays it as slapstick as Clark Kent. As Christopher Reeve, they're all serious. Brandon we'll Ralph uh, channels his inner Christopher Reeve quite, quite beautifully, but yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. Brandon yeah. Ralph does a beautiful job of, of doing mm. Superman. And I, I would watch it. I'd pay five times to go watch a movie with Brandon Ralph right now, Warner brothers. Same. But, but I'm saying nobody does the slapstick of, of, of uh, Clark Kent quite as well as Superman and him True. and Margot Kidder, the way that they play together, they're, they're quick and fast paced and, as a duo, that is Superman and Lois that you you see, and I think that's the hard part. You hold everyone else to that mantle, like they're the they're the top couple, even though they're out in in that time and it's a different date. You know, um, I think they they the chemistry between those two pulls it off very well. So, well, and even anyways, as to say that that's my quote. It's Superman is more than just touchdowns. It's more than just trivial things. It's big stuff that's gonna save the world. Mm -hmm. Delivered by Glenn Ford, who's another American icon. Yep. So I'm going to build off of what you just said, Corey, because my there's so many that you could have could have mentioned, but I'm mm -hmm. the one that just gets me every time is where the helicopter scene happens and he swoops oh, up and gosh. catches her and he says, "Easy, Miss, I've got you." And she says, "You, you've got me. Who's got you?" The way she delivers that line is so amazing. And then at the end, and then he, he finishes it off with this little button, which again is repeated in Superman Returns, which I love that so much. He says, well, I certainly hope this little incident hasn't put you off flying, miss. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. Just nonchalant, not a big deal that I just did this. And he's so polite. Charming. Just, he does oh, a little it. thing so when charming. she says that. She says that line and he does a little, at the, just a, uh -huh. Yep. And it's so wonderful because yeah. it's, he's an epic hero and he saw the humor in what she said. And I got goosebumps again. <laughs> I'd say, I'd say yeah. that scene is one of my favorite scenes in all of film ever. Yeah, me too. It's just so glorious. It just, it, the reveal is there's just nothing, so great. There's nothing better. 
Uh, yeah, I want to talk, I'm going to talk about that if, when we get down to set decoration as well, just a little bit. Um, I'm going to fly through some of these things. We are, this is a great conversation. You, the amount of times people have said fly through when we're talking about Superman, it really <laughs> makes me happy. Huh? Interesting. Um, what about body language, facial expressions? Do you guys have anything that jumped out? I, I feel, I feel like I've covered yeah. uh, what I'm going to say on that one, but I'm going to, I'm going to hand the baton. I do want to point it out too. We mentioned Glenn Ford, um, when he grabs his arm. Oh yeah. And, and he just says, Oh no. And that's all. It's so understated and just perfect. And he doesn't freak out. He doesn't overplay it. It's he almost underplays it, but it's, 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 it's perfect. It's a lot of realism in that. Isn't there? Yeah. Verisimilitude. It's the first you time we said it. I thought we'd say it more, but yeah. Final. Burgeoning. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> his, his Jonathan Kent dying is probably one of the, the saddest ones to see that just because mm-hmm. that moment where he grabs his arm, like you're talking about, you, you get that for 30 seconds and then he just, he's looking back and forth at everything. And you, and you can just imagine what he's pondering and the character, his wife, you know, Martha, she going to be okay. Clark is growing. This is a moment I need to be here for him, my farm, and then collapses yeah. and he knows what's going on. So that's powerful. That, that, that hurts when Jonathan Kent dies in this one mm-hmm. versus some other iterations where we've lost. Versus him. when Kevin Costner does and you're like, the hell's going on? I, yeah, I will. I will. This is not the time. Allow any any negative discussion about Kevin Costner. Thank you, me and you, Justin. Yeah. So I would love to talk about Man of Steel sometime. We we well we we may have to come back and do that. Uh, Justin, we were going to talk about this today, but I didn't want to talk about it until the show. But for me, the body language we started to allude to it when when he's about to tell he he comes back from being Superman, and we have the. You know, the, she's in the blue dress and he said the interview. Right. And then he changes yeah. to Clark and he comes in and he takes the glasses off that transformation. Well, he does it twice because he turns into Superman and then turns back into mm-hmm. Clark just with body language and pitching in his voice. Yep. Is amazing. It's such a great performance. It's Oscar worthy. Just that sequence. I agree. There. Just because it's so it's so back to back and you yep. get to see Clark right after Superman and you're like, yep. oh wow. Like you yeah, can't it even is tell that that's the same person. Acting moment in this film. Yeah. So good. You know, you know, you know what, what's powerful about that is that that's the alter ego switch. Like you see our characters get dressed and they become the superhero and then they go off. But to see him switch back and forth from Superman to Clark Kent to Superman, like he how he can do that, Clark Kent to Superman and back in that scene. Posture, well and even everything even he it, has to even, do it's so amazing for him to do that, that the and Clark Kent's his costume yeah, and Superman right. is who he is. That's right. And even in that scene where he, it, I'm assuming he's about to tell Lois like who he is. Does, yeah. is that what he's about to do? That's he, what like, it looks like. Takes off his glasses and he straightens up. Yeah. yeah. That's what and I'm his, talking about. And he like lowers his voice and you're yep. just like, Oh wow. The temper of his voice changes. Yeah. The description you, for uh, the, from Kill Bill that they give of how they do a whole montage so of awesome. Superman. Yes. And I think that is absolutely brilliant because it, it talks about how Superman is Superman. All other superheroes become their who, you know, Batman is Bruce Wayne and he became Batman, but Superman is different than all other superheroes because he is Superman who has to go play Clark Kent, which is Clark Kent's Superman's view of humanity mm-hmm. for how his alter ego has to blend in is to be glasses they're completely opposite side and oblivious yeah. and, and kind of bumbling. It's almost a judgment on humanity that he knows if I'm going to hide, this is how I hide in this world. 
Right. That's true. This is how people will well ignore said. me. Yeah, and, that's and, I, and I do think he does like as as beloved as Henry Cavill is. Um, Love him. His his Clark versus is Superman is he is he is Dan. No, I know he is. Oh goodness, uh, his Superman to Clark is not that much of a change. It's it's a very mm. similar person. Yeah. No, like you can't Either hide way, that good looking of a face with no hope. Yeah. Yeah. Even <laughs> Tyler Hoechlin in Superman and Lois is the same. His Clark and Superman are too much the same. True. Henry Cavill's I mean, Clark and Superman are too much the same. Yeah. So we'll you can't all be that handsome nobody and have an has, alter ego. Nobody has pulled off the bumbling Clark as well as yeah. Christopher Reeve. Right. Nobody yeah. can do that. It's a He's the goat, class. man. He's the he goat. Uh, I do want to mention too, uh, before we move on to setting the design, the, the genius of doing Luther's wigs, quote unquote, where Gene Hackman <laughs> does not have to shave his head. There's another story I love about this too. He had a mustache um, when he was cast and he didn't want to shave the mustache cord. You know, the so story CGI it off or wait, that's, no. that, that's your, that's <laughs> your, your boy. Told me, you, you shave your mustache. Yep. I will shave my mustache. And Richard yep. Donner did not have a mustache. He, he had a fake wore mustache. a fake mustache and took it off in front of Gene Hackman. When he, that's how he tricked did him. Did Hackman like that? Did Hackman laugh? Well, he, he signed on for both movies. Yeah. <laughs> but they have not made that same deal for the Joker in the Adam West Batman. Like, that guy's, oh, that no, guy's he got the mustache. to shave yeah. that thing. Yeah. Well, he didn't have Richard Donner as a director. All right, let's talk about setting the design. Um, let's talk about, I mean, this is filmed in, in Pinewood for, for the Krypton scenes. Uh, Shepperton Studios as well for Fortress of Solitude. New York, you mentioned that earlier, Dan. Doubles for Metropolis, strangely enough. The New York Daily News building is is the Daily Planet. Still there? Yeah. Uh, I love that, Corey, earlier you said, and look, and you're in Kansas, but really you're in Alberta, which is interesting. It's Canada for, for <gasps> Kansas. Well, it's it always like filmed Canada. in Canada. Every show has it in Canada. Yeah. It seems. Isn't that awesome? Wait, is Lo- it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, I think that's, there's parts of Canada that are untouched. That's why we have. To oh, ask. so much of my life is a lie. <laughs> it's a Canadian lie. No, no. Yeah, lots of models in this one. Uh, the Golden Gate Bridge is a scale model. Miss um, Tessmacher. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but bum Krypton Council Dome. I love that that's that earlier shot too. The, the, the sense of scale when that thing rolls back, it's so huge. And the little tiny people in the middle of it, uh, the Hoover Dam is, is a scale model as well. I don't know if you guys have. Yeah, it is. And they slow things down when the water comes in. That's how they kind of make the make it look as real as they do but it really oh, why didn't we bring that up when we we're talking about effects like well we are you were so again. upset about the screaming yeah I, yeah that's right i did focus on the screaming <laughs> yeah so there you go there's also that that scene with the with the flooding it was reused in an episode of night rider i remember i watched that's right I, that's right which is fan- it doesn't have superman in it, obviously but the, he's conspicuously missing from that. And I was like, I've seen this. This is from but David Superman. Hasselhoff was kind of Superman for a while to, to yeah. many people across sure. the pond. Yeah. <laughs> In the Germany. Yes. Um, yeah. So we covered that's locations. That's what just what I wanted to bring up. But what about set decoration and props? Did you guys have anything that the jump that you just take that rapid fire? Cause I had one interesting thing I noticed this time, but I'll wait. Hmm. I think you should just get us rolling, Craig. Okay. Yeah. Well, his, this is okay. So I've seen this movie. I don't know how many times, hundred times at least. So earlier in the film, the first time that he goes to the Clark goes to the daily planet. If you remember when he's leaving, he gets trapped in the revolving door, right? it's kind of an awkward scene mm-hmm. when he goes to save Lois from when the helicopter is happening 
Mm-hmm. Where does he go? Mm-hmm. Back to yeah. that same revolving door. He oh remembers it. He walking yeah. by and he pauses and he looks over there. And this is the first time I caught that, that he was like, I'm going to go use that thing that I ran into earlier today. Oh, just, now it's yeah. on. Yeah. Now it's genius. Yeah. It was foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I never I thought about that so much. Good catch. Craig, Good I got catch. goosebumps. Pick that up. That's, That's super amazing. cool. This is the oh, first time I was go. like, holy smokes. Cause I just, I happened to notice him look over there and I was like, holy smokes. I just happened. You didn't His say confidence. Great Scott. Door is yeah. amazing too. Yeah. Oh man. Guy makes a comment to him and he just puts his hand. And goes, That's a bad me. outfit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing I had was just Luther's underground lair and how it's super opulent with the library and stuff and futuristic mm. for the time. Yes. And he's got a video screen and all the, all those things. A swimming, a swimming pole. <laughs> yeah. Underground swimming pool. That's cool. Um, then mostly the props I had were really dated things other than the box of Cheerios. I remember that product placement being huge because that was one thing my parents would be like, you should eat Cheerios because Superman eats Cheerios. And I was like, <laughs> I've never forgotten that. And obviously it worked. Yeah. You tell an eight-year-old kid you should eat Cheerios because Superman does, he's going to eat some Cheerios. Mm-hmm. I always wondered who product placement works on. It's you, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> At that time it did. <laughs> but yeah, lots of notepads and pencils, newspapers, things you don't see in movies anymore. The giant the tape recorder. Planet in the props. The outdatedness of those today in our modern world, the keyboards yeah. typing the entire time. That just yeah, great. Planet scene. I love just so much. Typist going crazy the i always it was so in, infatuated by the glass partitions that separated the offices and they it just kind of had this very kind of a weird futuristic feel to it even just to glass everything yeah love uh it. the the hula hoop prison thing that they have in the beginning with the zod yeah that trial just i thought was a lucasfilm story group just is. a simple Way to bring in some scientific futuristic society, and here they have these people standing on trial, and they're held by it. Just looks like two hula hoops going around, mm-hmm. and so you just accept, oh, well, this is some kind of a a prison cell or something that they're in. And but to do it in a way that is, I think, visually stunning to make you go, oh, wow, that's kind of yes, fascinating yeah. and futuristic. But it looks like just two hula hoops going around. Um, I thought that's a great use of of setting and design to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hey, while we're on that Zod scene, I'm going to get into the weeds again. I think that's just going to be my hallmark. Um, I know they filmed one and two kind of back to back or even simultaneously. Yep. Yep. Uh, But it's felt so out of place to put that Zod scene in there when that doesn't even come back until Superman 2, right? Well, yeah, but that's the whole point of it is that it is coming back. Yeah, it was just it was strange to me that like, why not just throw that in Superman 2? Yeah. Well, spoiler alert, if you watch the Richard Donner cut, now, Dan, you've seen the Richard Donner cut, right? I have. I have. Yeah. So the end of this movie where he throws the, Mm -hmm. uh, the missile into space is actually the thing that opens up the phantom zone in that version, not the bomb at the Eiffel tower. That's what's in the theatrical release of Superman. So it's all tied very closely together. Could I just say, because I think if you look at this Superman trilogy, not counting for you put this Superman trilogy. They do a great job of doing that where something from this movie sets up your sequel and is going to appear in your sequel. And I think I noticed this time with Brandon Routh and the crystals that Kevin Spacey uses in Superman returns, mm-hmm. you get a lot of that with fortress of solitude where he throws the crystal and you see that violent fortress rising. 
But then to bring that back and put that as part of a story to finally get a reboot of Superman, you know, 20, 30 years later, I thought was a nice way because it, it's a way of kind of how they did one and two. One, there was a scene here that becomes part of the sequel. And there's also a scene here that becomes part of a sequel that we have with Brendan Ralph 20 years later. So yeah, I need to see that movie again. I thought I missed that movie. I need to see that again. Uh, anything else before we move down to characters? I've talked a lot about characters, but there might be a few things, a few nuggets. All right, cool. Let's talk about characters. Uh, we talked about Brando and Hackman. The list of people that could have played the role of Superman is ridiculous. And I won't really get into it. It's really easy to Google if you want. Corey might have a point on that. The thing I want to point out with this is Christopher Reeve was like 24 when he played Superman. Wow. And which, unknown. And, and unknown, but he plays that so much older. Like, I don't feel like he's in his mid Superman is perpetually 33 in the comics. Right. Yeah. But it like he feels like a mid-30s guy. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I was shocked when I was like, wow, he's, he's, he was mature. Do you, do you think part of that too is because when we watch it for the first time, we are young. Probably. So of course he's going to look old. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Margot Kidder too. She's only like 29. No kidding. Oh, yeah. She looked like she was older than this. I, you know, people just looked I think people older. Aged I think. different back then. I do. It's the cigarettes. It was all well, the cigarettes. That's right. And the altitude. Well, age. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, fun character. I know we, I mean, there's so many characters we could talk, like, you know, we could talk Christopher Reed, Margot Kidder all day, but, um, just a side note. And I love it when they do this, you see ki- directors do this, the police who's the two policemen yes. following, uh, Thank you. Otis in the beginning yes. yep. is the police captain in the Richard Donner lethal weapon movies. Oh yeah. And so I, th- I thought it's fantastic. I love it when directors have somebody that's uh, a buddy that, hey, I'm going to bring him back. He's a great actor or a great friend, and I'm going to throw him in this role and and keep him shared going. Universe. Yeah. So, well, Car- Corey, I'll, I'll, shared I'll universe. Corey, I'll see your buddy and raise you. That's his cousin. Okay. Okay. Well, Steve, Steve, Steve Cahan, yeah, is his is his cousin that plays. Huh. Yeah, Captain we'll say Murphy that Martin Riggs yeah. and Richard Murtaugh could be in Superman's universe. Oh boy! If I, if he I could have, that, he got I'm too old for this. <laughs> the, uh, he was like 41 the, when he's too old. Yeah, that was a that that scene is. Let's be honest. That and then the the near death of Lois Lane. Those are two extraordinarily brutal scenes. Like that is Absolutely. cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Yep. It's it's uh, I mean, the seventies certainly had a share of of very violent films. Dirty Harry, French Connection, speaking of Gene Hackman, all that stuff. But that was that was no fool, and that very much shows you. Uh, I talk about a shift in tone from the the silly uh, dopiness of of Ned Beatty's character Otis to this violent murder where he just completely indifferent and snack in a way. I mean, it shows you there's some actual stakes here because character wise, uh, none of these people feel like real people. They're all absolute characters. You know what I mean? There, there's no, there's not even an attempt at realism. It's real in the sense of you're watching a movie about a comic book character, but I think it's cool that you're able to pull off such gravitas in a film that is really just cartoon characters. Yeah. And it's so lovely that that's your first introduction to Lex is just mm-hmm. his finger pushing the dial as he's snacking away, like casually murdering a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, awesome. it's true. All right. Let's talk about, let's talk about hero's journey. And, and Dan, this is also one of your 
go-to thing. So I want to see what you think about hero's journey for this one. I know you talk about this a lot with your students. I do. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's obviously paramount to the story. Uh, Superman is unique in that he has several mentors that he loses, which, you know, of course, both of his fathers, because he's really, he's got, it's almost like he's got more to unclip that he's pulling the responsibility he's pulling for. He can let that stuff go and face the world on his own with the multiple lessons, both being still from him, from his Kryptonian father, as well as from his human father, which are really, really lovely. Um, do you think he's got like a refusal of the call? I don't, I don't know if he I think does, he does, but you can't look at Superman one. You have to look at one and two together. Oh, and that becomes go. problematic to me because I think, I think that I know. And I was you know thinking I mean? of this hero's journey when I was looking at these notes and trying to think, where do I see the hero's journey and all this and the mm. refusal of the call? Yeah, think and about I thought, that. If I look at one and two together as one long movie story, then I see the refusal of the call when he gives up his powers because sure. he wants to be human to be with Lois. And I thought that's his, that's his Valley of darkness. He gets beat up in a diner. He goes and he's mm. bleeding and, and, and it's, it's the, I'm going to walk away from who I am. You could almost I say have to come back. I really liked it a lot. Um, I think you could say that his apotheosis uh, and his refusal to call are wrapped up in the same thing, which is really interesting for such a, a true blood uh, hero. And that will be when he, he goes against his father's wishes and reverses time. Yeah. You know, and he changes fate, you know, historically that doesn't work out very well. Um, and is there ever really a, a, a cost or a punishment that Superman faces for that? Not really. Not really. That's with no. time. Time messes back. That's yeah, right. But we time. but we don't really see that ever play out. Not with him. Yeah. No. no not, well, so he's almost above the hero's journey in a way because he's already, so he doesn't really have, I mean, he's, he's, he's a complex character, but he's not really a complex character. You know, I mean, he has to face, uh, he has to take responsibility for who he is so who we can, so who he will be. But we don't really see a ton of that. Uh, he wants to play football when he's younger. Sure. Uh, his dad talks him out of it. Then there's no more conflict. He, his role is purely to inspire and instill hope. And I and I never really thought about before that doesn't really have much of a hero's journey. But I don't, I don't find that to be problematic, surprisingly, because no. he's just, he's a different category. You know, he's, he's, a, he's very much a god in this. Thing. He's very much yeah, a god. That's, that's more or less what I had, you know, when, when I watched it too. And, hero's journey he starts off as as a hero kind of from the get-go in that short little mm -hmm. scene uh before he runs home uh you know maybe you see like the pre-heroic clark and then after his dad gives him that short little speech before he dies it's like almost from that point on he does no wrong yeah yeah I, by well, the way, I just want to say this really quickly before I forget, and then I promise I won't interrupt anymore. Uh, I, I like to imagine that football still hasn't landed yet. My son and I, who's nine, we always joke about that. Do you think the football will land today? When he kicks at the beginning, it just never Oh, drops. no, it's nice. it's still orbiting. It's at Henry. Brandon, Brandon Routhrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, Dan, you've mentioned multiple times, like the the Jesus imagery with this too. And like it, he, that he is a God and there's a Especially lot of Especially in that. Superman returns. Yeah. Much there's a lot of so Superman returns. Yeah. But we talked about like this, the, the design of his ship is very much like a star 
right? Mm-hmm. Kind of signifying mm-hmm. his, you know, him coming in. And, and I've even seen things where people are saying like Jarrell being God, the father casts general Zod out. He's the Satan character there. Oh dear. Hmm. Yeah. All of these things, you know, and the Martha saying that they prayed for the good Lord would give them a child. And so there's all of these, these things. So it doesn't, oh, yeah, it doesn't idea. fit a traditional one because like, as you said, Justin too, he's kind of, he starts out from a place of power already. You know, he's, he's already, already met. Yeah. He's already there. One thing I thought was interesting too, though, is when he is in the Fortress of Solitude and he's getting his training, it does seem to be, and then later when he comes back after saving Lois with a helicopter, that he has disobeyed what Jorel has asked him to do. So maybe that is his refusal as well. That Like the path That's of the I mean. public Superman mm-hmm. is him choosing a different path than the one he was originally supposed to be on. I'm not sure oh, what that would have been. I, I could see that. Because your well, refusal of the call is that you you abandon, uh, you you abandon your preconceived uh, right. preconstructed destiny because you because of fear because of a lack of worthiness because of of a sense of obligation. He has none of those things, mm-hmm. right? But he does refuse his father uh, yeah. to change and alter the course of destiny. He's he's really interesting. It's almost like we need to come up with a new. Uh, listing for him because as as you've all mentioned uh quite uh beautifully he's he's at a different place you could almost follow the hero's journey through lois's eyes i think you'd have a much more interesting compelling argument he mm-hmm. she certainly goes to the belly of the whale she certainly goes through a death and resurrection <laughs> right sure. yeah and also you don't see just in general superman clark kal-el doesn't have a whole lot of character development it's almost like everyone develops around clark and around superman Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they change as he comes into the world like how do how do we now exist in a world with superman exactly yeah interesting i think the best the hero's journey version of superman is in um grant morrison's all-star superman which is the most beautiful superman story you could ever hope to ingest and there is a a dc animated version of it yeah uh, that is is if you Justin and Corey, if you haven't seen it yet, I highly recommend that you make it a top priority. It is absolutely a beautiful love letter to everything that is Superman. Oh, I will and do that. I uh, DC, yeah, DC animation is fantastic. Apparently, James Gunn yeah. was reading that just the other day. Posted oh, about it on I'm Twitter. I'm so glad. It's so it's, it's beautiful. It's it's a perfect story. It's a perfect story. Yeah, because he's he's working on that script right now. So you know that's you think it, maybe he, that's the direction he's going. I sure well, hope so. <laughs> We don't want the ending like All Star Superman, but oh, I think we do. It's gorgeous. Well, maybe the very not down the line. I still want to see. Yeah, I want to see that's, several that's, Superman movies. Well, yeah, give me like nine Superman movies, please. Agreed. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Yeah, Agreed. sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, um, we talked about world building a lot, so I don't know if there's anything else we need to talk about with that. Um, so final thoughts, guys. Dan, we'll start with you. Final thoughts on Superman the movie. Wow, I mean. I, I think this film over last summer, I showed it to my son who was eight at the time for the first time, you know, not knowing how he, I mean, he's, you know, he's grown up on the Marvel films, all the stars stuff. So he's seen, you know, the elite special effects that exist. I wasn't sure how he would handle it. He, he loved it. He was absolutely riveted by it. And again, it's because of the, all the things we've all mentioned. Uh, the whole thing is just a love letter to stories and mythology and superheroes and comic books and Superman at his core, you know, a hero that you look up to who we aspire to be like very much like the, the classic Greek 
uh, mythology, the mythological constructs, which are, you know, the hero falls down and is fallible while you know that he's going to get up. That inspires us who cannot, you know, leap tall buildings with a single bound or we're not faster than a locomotive, but we can get ourselves up again and we can fight against great injustice and adversity. And this movie encapsulates it perfectly. I, I mean, when it comes to superhero movies, I, I think there are some that are untouchable. I think this is untouchable. I think The Dark Knight is untouchable for very, very different reasons. Um, I just think they're they're just absolutely, they nail the essence of this character so beautifully. And I mean, I can't say enough wonderful things about it. Yep. Corey, what about you? I think I think this movie this movie sets the future for all comic book heroes to come to come forward. Without Superman, we do not get superhero movies to jump to the silver screen like they would. I think this movie in its time set the stage. Batman comes out what 8 9 years later. I mean 1989, so, right? Yeah, 1989, so nine, yep. 10, 10 years later. So it so I think when you look at this, this Superman movie made it to where this is a character that is so loved. The story, it's not perfect. The CGI is not, you know, at the time it was great. You go back and you watch it and you realize how people interacted in movies back then was very different than how they interact now and the conversations and the depth and levels. But you go back and you can't help but smile and love and fall in love with the character. Mm -hmm. And who Christopher Reeve is and even mm -hmm. who Margot Kidder is. You can't help but fall in love with that story. And so I think when you look at all of the Superman iterations that we have now is because that movie was pulled off so well. Because Richard Donner had done such a great job of everything we've talked about. The characters, the sage, the sounds. The, I mean, John Williams is the man. Every single thing that you put into that movie um, set the stage for superhero movies to come forward. Here, here. And I think it's the one that makes me love all of them. I love every single Smallville, Lois and Clark, Superman and Lois, uh, Brandon Routh, Henry Cavill. I love every single one, and I will take every single one. I will pay to go see them in the theaters because I'm so loyal to the character because of what groundbreaking work Christopher Reeve did. I think Christopher Reeve has the perfect look of anybody we've ever had. Mm -hmm. He is him on the boat getting hit with a crowbar is my look of Superman. Um, but I think um, by and large, this movie set the tone for everything and it, it makes you fall in love. That being said, I sincerely hope with reboots and everything we have coming forward from Warner Brothers, I don't need to see Jonathan can't die again. <laughs> I need to go forward. I accept the mythology mm -hmm. from where it was. I just mm -hmm. need you to give me a fast forward button. I don't need 48 minutes before I see suit before I see my character come in again. So, you know, that's the one thing I'm always, when they do the reboots, it, it, it burns me is watching Jonathan Kent die or watching uh, Peter Uncle Parker ben. Yeah. Ben die. I've accepted that. Let's move forward. Let's give me the story because I, I love the character so much. And so yep. um, if someone has not seen Superman, you know, like because they're young, like Justin and they, they think it's been around and, they just known about it. They have to go watch this movie. It's, it's yeah, it's so so good, so well said, Justin. All right, Justin, what you got, brother? All right, so again, I feel like that young term was used offensively, <laughs> but I'm just gonna let it slide. Um, no, I I 
I'm coming to appreciate slower movies and you can almost tell a movie that's going to slow as it not boring slow, like as in its pacing. And you can almost tell right from the get go on a movie. Um, if the opening credits, uh, don't rush you through it. Like if it take, if it stop, yeah. if, if it takes its time, uh, I, I read somewhere that a lot of, uh, movies coming out today, especially like the movies that show up directly on streaming, they are they are made to like constantly catch your attention because people they, they know their audience is on smartphones uh, while they're watching it or they're gonna watch it in clips. Like they're they're made to be incredibly fast paced, and it is it's nice to have a slow paced movie that focuses on the story. It's not trying to constantly like get you with some humor or gag or some effect. But that really just focuses on the story, focuses on the characters, focuses on the meaning and what it represents. It's like it's trying to be timeless. It's not trying to um, make a quick buck so it can move on to the sequel or the prequel or wh- whatever it may be. And you you know that almost from the, the get go of this. And it's I don't know. It's almost like a historical piece. Like you're watching a piece of history. Like this is this is how movies were uh, during that time period. And it. It gives me warm fuzzies. <laughs> no, but I mean, overall, just I, I've been critical of the film. I, I'm more or less joking, except for the lowest screaming that I can't, I can't do that. But overall, just, just fantastic okay. film. Like if you want to sit down and watch a movie that makes it feel like it's, it's real cinema and it's, it's trying to tell you a story and not just, uh, you know, quickly get you excited and let you go um it's it's this one just something Corey, real quick where do you was superman one of your favorite uh comic book character superheroes uh anyway or or not really no mine was spider-man i love spider-man growing up watched everything spider-man i liked superman um but it's I like think top I've, five character top five superhero oh, oh definitely a top five definitely okay. a top five but for me it was spider-man and and just I don't know, but see, I identified with that being younger in middle mm-hmm. school when Spider Man was a big thing. So sure, yeah, yeah, definitely with with Spider Man. Like I remember as a kid, I would constantly run at walls and like try and stick on walls, hoping my powers had happened yet. No, never happened. But um, no, grow, growing up, I was uh, very much in the Marvel camp. Like my bigger, my my older brother had a lot of Marvel action figures and Marvel comics, and I always saw DC as the enemy, not knowing that they can peacefully coexist. Um, so you no, know, it's, it's, it's not till somewhat recently that I've really come to appreciate DC. Cool. The one thing I would add because of this movie, Superman, the movie is this is a perfect iteration of Superman. DC now is known as it, it's gotten very dark and, and some of the stories are real heavy mm-hmm. and you look at Superman for DC. This was a very different Superman, even though there was the cold blooded killer, Lex Luthor and what he did pushing the guy off the train. I mean, that was heartless, but there was a lightness and a brevity to him that that sometimes I think maybe DC has lost a little they need to get back to. And maybe that's why Marvel's so successful. They bring in so much humor to Marvel that you go, you walk out of Marvel laughing at a few things when you go talk about some of the power stories. DC needs to bring in some of that a little bit. Well, you I even you don't want to leave a, a Warner Brothers Superman film thinking, gosh, I'm depressed. <laughs> You yeah, mean I don't? You mean you prefer so to leave a Superman movie I've with never hope? Left a Warner yeah. Brothers movie saying that, but 
you know, a Warner Brothers DC movie. I've left every one of them going, oh, man, that was a great story. Dark, no, you you, you leave a Warner Brothers DC movie depressed because you check the latest news, and in the time you were in the movie, they canceled the universe or canceled oh, the yeah. actor. Like that's, so, something, that's but it was canceled before it even started. They've never had a connective anything. All yeah. right, come on, Netflix. Okay, so I mean, speaking of like light villains, uh, I mean Lex Luthor, his his greatest plan is like. To sell real estate. He's not trying to conquer the world. He's just like, nah, well, I want some money. He's going to kill millions of people first, but yeah. Well, you know, that's... Causing the that's, deaths of millions of people. Land is the one thing they're not making more of, Craig. It's also yeah, true. Yeah, I, I love Superman Return. Took that line back. That was great. So, so for I, me... Superman Returns, by the way, I think is a per, <laughs> is almost perfect Superman movie, too. I like Superman Returns I a lot. I love that movie. If we ever talk about that, sign me up. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll pencil you in. So for me, Superman is my favorite character. Hands down, comic book character. I knew because that. of this I knew because that. of this movie. I mean, I was exactly the right age. You know, I'm Jan and I are from the same generation. We saw this on TV, saw it in the theater, and it was the only thing. Like we mentioned, Batman doesn't come around until eighty nine. It's the only thing for a decade. The only feature mm-hmm. film. We also we had the Wonder Woman and the Hulk TV show. That's about the only other live action stuff we had. Uh, but I have to say that, you know, I was really bummed when Cavill had to come on and say, no, you know what? Actually, I'm not coming back. That was really disappointing news. I was very excited that we were going to see Man of Steel 2. And so seeing that that James Gunn has loves this movie that we just watched and seeing a lot of kind of going back to this, I've seen a lot of people kind of re- referencing this that are in the know and, and people that are going to be making decisions about the future of the DCU. I knew I needed to see this movie again. And I just, I fell in love with this movie all over again. I love this movie. I love this story. I love Christopher Reeve's portrayal. I'm reinvigorated for what's going to happen. And I'm very hopeful that this will be, as I know it has been the template for the MCU, Kevin Feige's on, on record as saying that, that I hope that this version of Superman is the template moving forward for the DCU, that we get this, a version of this character, a similar version. And like I said, I want nine of these movies because we've never gotten a, an actual successful Superman series. This one peters out, you know, the, the Snyderverse petered out. Like, can we do the, can we build this together where I can have a character that will play uh, an actor that can play Superman as many times as Hugh Jackman played Logan, please. Wow. That's what I'd like to see. Absolutely. Oh. Lock him down. <laughs> well, and I, it gives me hope James Gunn with guardians of the galaxy and the humor that he brought to that, that show, Guardians of the Galaxy, does not come off well without humor. And I think you're right, Craig. James Gunn, I'm going to give him the trust that he brings in this Christopher Reeve version a little bit with some DC lightness that we could still have our stories. We can still have it, but it's a, it's a new direction. It's a bold new direction. Superman has to have heart. You have to care because he cares. And I don't. We don't have a lot of time to see Superman being Hamlet and questioning his existence. And hey, come on, he's Superman. He's the light. He's not gray. Sorry. Good. Point. No, that's fine. We've we've done that. So we've we've gotten all iterations of Superman out of the way. We've seen the Hamlet version. We've seen the death uh-huh. of Superman. All these things. These these projects that Warner Brothers execs have wanted to see for decades. We've done that. Now we can go back to the core of who Superman is. I love it. I lo- and I love how much you love this movie. That makes me happy. So before we get out of here, uh, Dan, why don't you tell everybody 
what's going on with Coffee with Kenobi, where we can find you online and such as? Absolutely. Well, first of all, it was great to meet you both, Justin and Corey. Craig, always a pleasure. Uh, it's an honor to be on Reading Between the Reels. Love the work that you're all doing. So keep it up because you're certainly entertaining and educating your listeners. Uh, as far as me, you can find me on Coffee with Kenobi, which is a Star Wars podcast uh, that comes out twice a week. There is a live show Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on the Facebook page. Coffee with Kenobi is all over social media, including the Tick and the Talk. Um, and then as for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Zare, M-R-Z-E-H-R, on Instagram at Dan Zare, C-W-K. And you can find my writing on stars.com. I've got a couple of Star Wars books you can find on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And if you have a podcast or a blog or want to expand your brand, you can reach out to me at danzmedia.com. Awesome. Thank you, sir. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com, or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. One last thing, our next episode will be a review of Ant-Man. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Ant-Man, and we'll share it on the next episode. 